0: The following program may be disturbing to sensitive viewers, especially to those who have been victims of rape and sexual assault. These stories are personal tales chronicled by characteristics of self-abuse, abuse, abuse, and recovery on the hands of Mikey dong Ko. May God watch over on the girl who had got stabbed by this boy, now a mature man. Viewer discretion is advised. Mm. In the summer of 2019, a vicious stabbing occurred at a music camp at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. The victim was a 13-year-old girl who met a boy named Mikey Coe the previous year. She almost was raped and sexually assaulted in a locker room at the IU Music Center and was stepped multiple times in the thigh and stomach. As vicious as the crime was that Mikey committed, no one sounded the alarm until I came into the picture. I am and Lentz, and I was once a victim of bullying and insults from Mikey Co. I was a victim of, a middle school shoving, of middle school shoving the problem away to make me feel worse. I bullied myself in 2016 and committed suicides multiple times until my final one in March of 2017. Since then, I have been stable, got help and the right treatment, and I graduated high school, and will be an incoming sophomore at Vincent's Indiana University. It took me a while to get into a stable discussion about this boy, but here I go as hard as it was. This is my story of encountering a rapist, a bully, and a classmate. This is time to be unchained. Part four, the conclusion and the stabbing. I remember taking my first ever tour of the HSJI camp in the summer of 2018 with my professor of sports media at Indiana University, Mr. Gallon Clavio. The song I played through the Macintosh computer inside the main media classroom, inside the media school, at inside Franklin Hall at Indiana University, was the famous song Drake had iconed for years. Kiki, do you love me? Are you writing so you never ever leave from beside me? And I want you, and I need ya. the summer hit of 2018, also known as In My Feelings, Kiki, Do You Love Me? was playing through the computer as other camp goers and I study our craft by testing through applications such as Final Cut Pro and Adobe Premiere. Editing systems to clip from an interview we conducted with former IU volleyball player Elizabeth Asdale. The team of 30 high school students from all different parts of the country and one from Australia clocked away from editing their clips from the interview that we conducted with her that day at Assembly Hall. On the clock, Professor Dr. Galan Clavio walked around to check out our work. As a student at Bloomington South, I was one of a kind as I entered into the camp with pride, but also confusion about growing up and maturing. At the time, I had gotten out of Campania Academy six months before this camp had started. As I explained in the last podcast, it took me a while to get into a stable discussion about this. But being at this camp was also the best and worst experience of my life, as I had gotten lost that year. Then I got... Then I had severe, severe, uh, then I had a severe case of dehydration the next year. Near Franklin Hall, a statue of the legendary World War II journalist Ernie Pyle watches over the students who enter the campus from the sample gates. When you arrive at this beautiful campus, history writes its name. From Mark Cuban to Meryl Streep to Sage Steele and even Cody Zeller. Indiana University is one of the largest and most accepted colleges in the state of Indiana. It surpasses schools such as Vincent's Junior College and Ball State University by having an endowment of as large as the school's enrollment rate and bank account. Through the screams of the Little 500 bike race, through the animal life of fraternities, IU is also known for one of its darker secrets, which entails a toxic culture of sexual assault, kidnapping, and rape. This campus is tragically known for the case of Lauren Speer, a young sophomore who had attended IU in 2009 through her, the day he kid, she kidnapped, she was. Through the day, she was murdered in 2011 and was found missing. Her parents had no idea what was happening, and neither did the parents to the woman, who had to the girl who had originally founded Jill's House and wanted to become a caregiver and psychologist. Indiana University has a, has a toxic reputation for being a party school but also a school you take a girl to after a party and you plop her in her bed. It is one of those schools. Party life mixed with rape and sexual assault is a toxic mix at most college campuses around the country. And being a part of a union, seeing rapes go up in 2021-22 school year at IU from at least 20 a year to about 35 rapes that year. In 2021, 22, we are seeing a new epidemic in this country. Not only are we seeing young women, 19 through 22, skinny and petite, walk around campus and then eventually get raped by men who are predators. This whole podcast and talking about this issue of rape and sexual assault is so personal to me. In so many ways. My mother was a victim of rape and sexual assault at Vincennes University. She was raped at her will. And the rapist that she had, who would eventually be the man who we call 23, he said, I only rape the willing. And he smiled and laughed. Then my mother found out two weeks later she was pregnant. It was a tragic tale that history keeps repeating itself every single year. My mother, however, was not a whore. She didn't sleep around with men. Never once did she have a man in her bed until she came to VU in 2000. Never once did she date anybody. Never once did she want to have a kid that young. It was a tragic scenario. And when her and I talked about her sexual assault and rape, she didn't think of this rape as different from all the others because she wasn't drunk. She wasn't meeting a quarterback who she had never met or a man she had never met. And she was just lured in and groomed by this man we have to call 23 because he is now a criminal who is getting hopefully who is trying to get released from Carlisle. In 2022, not only is this issue prevalent to most girls and college campuses, but Indiana University has both a positive and negative reputation. This is what occurred in 2019 as Mikey Coe took his steps into the media school. But first, I need to talk about the moments that led before he walked into that room at the music school. The moments before he decided to kill, to attempt to murder a girl at this music camp, as I have said throughout the podcast, this is a serious story. This is so serious. In fact, it not this, this story does will not involve a 19 year old college student that Mikey attempted to murder. This involves an innocent 13 year old girl who had gotten stabbed and killed, but who had gotten stabbed and almost killed. But first, let's talk about August of 2018. It was August of 2018. The sun was shining over Bloomington South. I had walked into the SRT room, which was our homeroom period, that I had stayed in for a year now. I was already a junior at Bloomington High School South when I saw students trickle in. Girls like one friend I had named Cassidy Kleinbauer claim voucher another girl named Haley another girl named Bella who I had tried to ask out and date then the kids all sat down like John Law and football player we are football players we are cheerleaders we had our gymnastics girl we had our artsy girl we had it all in that class and a new teacher by the name of Mr. Paul Barnhart who was not only my geometry teacher But he was also a very, very young, impressionable, socially minded teacher who was our main instructor for the SRT. And if we ever had a club to go to, we just had to ask him to leave. But then one person came into the room, a black swanky hair, Asian polo shirt, blue jeans. It was the man I had seen days ago, years ago. Years before Campania Academy and years before I tried to say, hey, you bullied me. I was shaking until Earth's core. The man I had saw was the same person I met at Tri-North Middle School who made one account about me and tried bullying me in the hallways. At Tri-North, he kept on saying, you're such a bitch, Braden, You're such a bitch. And now he is standing at a Bloomington South classroom. Sitting at his desk, nobody knew who he was. He was quiet, intimate. But this would be the start of destruction, but also the start of hope. I remember the day. The next day, got walking into Barb Stork's counseling office inside Bloomington South, and I had told her Mikey Coe, the bully, the guy that had bullied me in junior junior high. He was going to bu- he was at my uh, he was at my homeroom. And then Barb told me, Brayden, are you are you serious about staying in the class? Do you feel uncomfortable staying in it or should I move you? I said, no, I feel like I can handle it with just the utmost confidence. I remember feeling very, very confident seeing Mikey again. I thought, oh, we're going to work things out. It's going to be fantastic. Th- two days later, I wrote a letter inside a library and I kept clacking away during my office hours where I was supposed to be working and checking out books. I do remember working with a woman named Mrs. Hahn, who was the main librarian, and then a woman named Nancy Voskell, who was the mom to my best friend in high school, Clara Voskell. And I remember clacking away at the computer before the bell rang, printing out a letter. And this letter went to summarize it. It basically said that I had bullied myself online i made some accounts and i put you under the rug i remember being around the same school with you you and i were messed up i got rehabilitated and i'm hoping and praying that you can accept this and be cherishable with what i've had to deal with and i hope we can actually hug and embrace each other once and for all and put Tri north middle school's terror behind us from craig fisher's a uh, tirade the one day to the school being very cocky and arrogant about mental illness to just ignoring me and Mikey all together and ignoring our mental health issues, spiraling us out of control. This was our moment to embrace each other. I remember being in the classroom about the next period, which we at Bloomington South, you have a schedule where you have your first period, your second period class, and then you had homeroom and then third, fourth, fifth. Or we had one, two, a thing called Panther Plus, which you could do anything from walk around the gym to study for classes to actually being in clubs and writing stories and being a part of a community. It's kind of like a community period, also known as Panther Plus. But I remember being in the room, with which was SRT, we were about to head to the White Gym at Bloomington South. And if you're familiar with the school, The white gym is our smallest gym. It's where all the club activities sections were. It was where we were able to have uh, events happen. We had youth basketball happen in there for five to 10 year olds. That's where Clara Voskel and Kira Kinsman, who was another classmate who played basketball and soccer with Clara. She had met Victor Oladipo and where they played youth basketball together. And Nancy, of course, acting like Nancy Vasco would, taking photos of her kids. But the purple gym at Bloomington South is where the main action is. Three basketball courts, all three used for gym classes. And we had a one large basketball court, which was home to our school's basketball and volleyball events. It's where Anthony Leal shined and James Bamba started seeing his fall from grace. But anyways... I remember being in the counseling. I remember being in the SRT room, which was 339. I remember that to this day. Mikey Coe would walk in after I saw Cassidy. I saw Gracie. I saw Kira. I saw Anthony Leal. I went to school with Anthony Leal, who plays at IU on for the basketball team. And Mikey was one of the last people that came in because he was rushing. He was panting and puffing. And then... He saw a letter that was sitting on his desk, all folded up into the shape of a sandwich. Then I remember he opened the letter and I watched him shaking like a butterfly, about to flap his wings. I saw Mikey glance at the letter. He read it, reading, 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 eyes pacing the paper like glue. And he lined every dot perfectly because he read and read and read. And then Paul Barnhart said, all right, guys, we're about to head over to the gymnasium. And then we you should hear an announcement soon on the intercom. And then the assistant principal, Mrs. Ratliff, she came on and said, everybody uh, who is a sophomore or junior, please head to the white gym. We all headed to the white gym. But before we did, Mikey unfolded the paper back into the sandwich position, got up just like everybody else, and he walked over to me. And what he said to me was, "Braden, I'm so sorry. Him and I embraced in this moment. I forgive you, he said. Hug? I hugged him. Him and I hugged each other and we embraced in a powerful moment of unity, a moment that I needed ever since middle school. A moment where I had gone to Campania, had faced these kids such as Jacob Hoffman, who's now my best friend, and him and I had seen each other fail and see each other fall down. And I saw his worst moments. I'd also have seen Mikey's worst moments, where he almost attacked a student at the Tri North Middle School over a band recital. I had seen him have clashes with people and people made fun out of him. Like, oh my God, like, Mikey it's like so weird because like he like almost flipped out on Gracie today. And I saw stories of middle school drama, high school drama, and campania, And it just felt like I was on top of the balcony and just fell down into a peaceful pillow. Him and I hugged each other and we talked about memories. And we talked about Bloomington North and how North was. And then he said, Braden, I've had a lot happen in my life, and just reading this letter made me feel better. I said, "Thank you so much. I'm happy to have shared it with you." He said, "Yeah, no problem." Him and I smiled on the way to the third floor hallway where we would take a left and walk past the media room, which was A301. We walked through the atrium and then we walked into the gym and everyone did this. I was just bright eyed, smiling from dimple to dimple, like I'm walking on sunshine, like almost that baby that's on the sun. I was smiling just like him from the, uh, Teletubbies. It was really an embrace, braceful, powerful moment where two men, both mentally ill, embraced at each other and powerfully, powerfully, I thought powerfully began forgiving each other. After this moment, I had told my therapist, Mindy WT, who I'll call her, and she was very happy. She clapped for me. She said, yay. And that was it. After that moment in 2018, it was about five days later, I forgave Mikey. Mikey forgave me, and I ended my wraparound services program through Centerstone. Therapy services in Bloomington, Indiana. The two men had left and not only that, but I just felt like there was just this powerful glee in that moment. But I do remember one thing that my mom had shared that really shows you the entire movement of what him and I had gone through. Not only that, but what my family had gone through because my mom is my rock and my hero that I never thought that she would share something so relevant and so powerful that it basically exemplifies what this moment meant between August 10th and August 17th of 2018. I ended wraparound services. But right before we went, my mom had a speech that she had written out. It was me, a guy named Greg, a guy named a girl named Melanie, a girl named Jody, and Barb all in the same room because I basically graduated from wraparound services, which are programs that are supposed to help you out when you are struggling and you just got out of a residential center or what have you, it, anything with mental health. I told my mom, come on, mom, just share this for me. You can do it because I had shared a speech beforehand. My mom, in the most powerful of senses shared a powerful speech, not just signifying the end of me and Mikey as a one and forgiving each other, but also the unity that I have with my family and the unity I see with my family today. She wasn't saying much about her childhood. She wasn't saying much about her getting raped or having a miscarriage. She was saying that this is powerful And I just want to embrace in this moment, just like Brayden, but I remember her shaking, almost crying, her hands trembling. And she read this powerful statement about me and Mikey forgiving each other, ending wraparound, and ending this hell that we had gone through between 2016 and 2017. But it wasn't over just yet. She read, my son jumped off a third story balcony in a suicide attempt, and I survived. I survived seeing him in horrible pain. I survived anxiously waiting during the five-hour-long surgery to repair his back. I survived all the trips to him in the hospital and at Campania Academy. I survived being judged and put under a microscope. I survived the pain of so-called friends and family turning their backs on me. I listened to a lot of music, and I felt the true meaning of the lyrics. I cried, I screamed, I questioned God's plan. I gained inner strength. I found compassion at Methodist and Riley Children's Hospitals. I found hope and a sense of family at Campania Academy. I found knowledge and constance at Centerstone. I found me underneath all of the pain I'd been carrying around for years. My son attempted suicide and lived. But I the a truth. highway full of red lights I've lost so many long nights Felt words that cut like knives I know, I know they're gonna Say what they want but I know they're gonna Say what they want But I feel it changing I can taste it I'm on the waving. I won't waste it I have been patient But I'm not waiting anymore Mikey e. Co continued his time at Bloomington South with a productive ease. He was a member of the band, the concert band, and the jazz band, and he also continued playing his violin to the best of his abilities. Through the outside, it seemed as if Mikey was trying his hardest. He cared about, he tried to act like he cared about other people. He had a group of friends around him. And one time when I was in SRT with him, I remember he had an entire group of maybe 12 to 13 people around him, joking around, laughing, funnily, having a fun time. But through this dark and gory glimpse of life, we also see Mikey's eventual downfall. And that is where I saw some warning signs. In a text messaging message that I had received in June of 2020, I remember being around a girl named Molly Pugh. Marley was a sophomore at the time. I had gotten the text approaching junior at Bloomington South. And when I told her about Mikey Cole, she had texted with the statement that Mikey once made a friend with a boy and the boy was very, very nice. Sweetest guy you'd ever meet. And then Mikey somehow, someway corrupted this boy. In a way, it starts making you question about his mental illness, that he had started saying that his parents were abusing him at home. They started having yelling matches and it got only increasingly worse as age went on in his life. I remember him telling me his parents yelled at home with him. I remember hearing that his dad had started hitting him with a belt and hitting him in places more than just the buttocks in the legs, the arms, and the hips. I remember his mom was just a narcissistic abused tathered victim, kind of like Amy Lentz to my cousin, to my great co- to my cousin Jason Lentz, who was famous on the news for his daughter in two thousand five eating sixteen magnets. This situation was very, very uh, constrained because I didn't know much about Nike. I knew about him bullying me in middle school. I knew him out of making the account. And I knew about him in high school seeing him again at South. But I thought, looking at his eyes, that he was having such a fantastic time. I mean, his mental health was better. His life was better. He, got, he was cooperating with people again. And through the surface, I remembered the same problems I had saw in elementary school and the same problems I saw in middle school. I had seen mental illness ravage his life. And I tried asking him a few times, what is wrong? And he didn't want to talk about it. He held all of his problems on his sleeve. And when he ever walked around the hallway, he'd act like everything's fine. Everything is fantastic. And then at home, he's dealing with issues. He barely told counselors what was happening. But I do remember one time at Tri-North Middle School, a counselor had once told, them, that one, told me and my mom that Mikey was severely, sub- Fairly mentally ill. His parents were abusive and we had seen other signs of him falling into depression and suicidal thoughts. The strange thing about Mikey, he never attended a psych unit. I attended both Bloomington Meadows and Campania Academy, both of which were hospitals for the mentally ill. And I had remembered him saying that he didn't want to get mental health treatment because he is the one with the problem. He thought the world was the one with the problem, not him. That's the type of vibe I got around him in the days leading up to the last HSJI camp I went to in 2018. I do remember seeing Mikey walk and he smiled, laughed, had a great time, but I do remember him talking to a girl and I didn't know who this girl was. She looked about 12 or 13, but he was walking her around like boyfriend and girlfriend. And I just thought, oh, you know, maybe they're kind of a I don't know, I don't know about a couple, I would say, but I'd say friends, mutual friends. He had met her as an acquaintance, she moved back to Florida with her mom and dad, and life you thought was, was good for her. But for Mikey, this is where the dark stuff turned. And tragically, this is where the last, the last time I ever saw Mikey Coe was in May of 2019, surrounded by people such as Trent Kirby, who is a friend of mine at Bloomington South, who is now at the Kelly School of Business, his girlfriend, Caitlin. Bella, who is a sophomore at UCF, University of Central Florida. I remember seeing three of those people who were my closest friends in high school, or I thought were close. But tragically, this was the last time I saw him because he looked over at the TV screen. He smiled back at me and gave me a wink and i gave him a wink back but i was still with uh, this man named mr bodner who was kind of like my security guard at a time where i had bullied a girl named clara scheltz who is now at tufts university and a sophomore there and i had bullied her online by using accounts in a fit of fury that whole year was bad jane had alzheimer's and we were continuing to help her out I was receiving therapy and treatment. Brianna was starting to see receive therapy and treatment. My mom had a terrible, terrible rash that year. And we had thought, we're going to go off the deep end. So I'm happy I got the mental health later in September of 2019. As I had mentioned two podcasts ago with the medicine. That really changed my life and saw a different perspective from Mikey Co. But the last time I saw him, he was in a fit of glee. Everyone had fallen for him at that table, fallen for his jokes, fallen for his lies, fallen for who he was as a person. I knew who he was. No one else did. The date was May 20th of 2019 in a man named Mr. Fry's classroom where he had taken us that day because the teacher, Mr. Barnhart, had left for some reason. Now, remember the SRT show? Which was one of the last produced SRT shows at Bloomington South. It had talked about lives and softball, and a security guard at our school speaking about safety before prom. This was also the last year before the coronavirus pandemic that we were having prom, a normal prom, and a prom we could have all embraced. This was the last year. Of the Bloomington South Gothic yearbook softball game that happened every year, either at the uh, Brian Park or at the Bloomington South softball field. That year was the last time I had worked a PA announcing position at both the for both the basketball team. That next year, which was very, which was the last one I just shadowed Neil Rapp and softball and track, which were the last two sports I had did. Before I, that next week, attempted to take my finals. And then I started feeling like I could have peed in my pants. And then I had an appendix removal the next day. After being very, very sick. This was a lesson that I think God was trying to save me from. The last time I saw Mikey was with glee. This was also the last time I saw a sense of normalcy. Right before the pandemic hit in 2020, my last day at Bloomington South occurred on February 13th, 2020. A day, two days after my grandmother had died from from Alzheimer's. She was a honorable woman at the time. Looking back on all these secrets, all these lies, all the deception that I had seen from both her and my grandfather. Who might have done some stuff to my mom. Which was very very sickening to this day. Even talking about it. It is very sad. Life I learned can be very tragic. What had happened with me and Mikey. I thought would embrace me for the rest of my life. He changed. I got better. I was going to see him again senior year. And he's going to be an improved kid. Then. On July of 2019, just a week after I left the HSJI camp at Blim- in Bloomington for IU, which I had done a sports journalism camp where we interviewed IU basketball player John Laskowski, former basketball player, now owns a Covers. Now, this was July of 2019, and my mom sat me down to tell me some very horrific news two weeks before the school year had started. then she said, in a silent tone, inside of her kitchen, I think Mikey Co. did something. He's not what you think. All I said was, oh shit. Music School Camper Stabbed by Acquaintance Written by Annie Aguilar after 17 year old dong wu ko allegedly lured a 13 year old girl away from practicing violin to an upstairs room where he strangled slashed and stabbed her repeatedly before fleeing the scene he called his mom i don't know what i did ko told his mother on the phone july 12th i may have killed her ko appeared in court wednesday on charges of attempted murder aggravated battery kidnapping, confinement, battery, and strangulation. Wearing the same button-up shirt as in his mugshot, he is being tried as an adult. Ko's lawyer, Carl Swat Salzman, said given Ko's mental health, a psych- psychiatric evaluation would be necessary to see if he's fit to stand trial. He told Judge Darcy Fawcett, he intends to file a formal request for competency evaluation in the case tomorrow. Fawcett also signed a no-contact order between Ko and the 13-year-old girl. The 13-year-old girl was a student at the Jacob School of Music Summer String Academy, a program for children ages 5 to 18 years old studying violin or cello ko is an acquaintance of hers who attended the program last summer according to the pro- probable cause of ad- adafit ko is a bloomington resident while the girl is from florida the girl was practicing her violin last monday in room 388 of the music annex building when ko entered the room and told her a teacher wanted to speak to her on the fourth floor. She told police he led her to a locker room before throwing her and pinning her against a locker with his arm and hand. When she started to scream and fight him off, he placed his hand over her mouth. She kicked him and they fell to the floor where the fight continued. Ko began to choke her before pressing a tactical folding knife against her throat. According to the evident, Oh my god, she told police she thought during the attack. This can't be happening to me. She said he then got on top of her and began to slash and stab her with the knife. He cut her around 10 times, mostly superficial wounds to the girl's limbs. Three larger injuries would require suturing at the hospital later. One of her right calf and two large cuts on her left hand, her violin hand. She kept screaming during the attack. She told police she was scared no one would come and that it would be too late. She said she thought she was going to die. Then she heard footsteps. In his office down the hall from the locker room, IU employee Ronald Sieben heard the screams. At first, he thought it was string academy students goofing around, but decided to check out the sounds when he heard them again. He found the two and pulled Ko off of the girl. She broke away. Sieben stopped her for a second, but he told police She looked so scared, he let her go. She ran to a room her friend and camp roommate was practicing in, next to her original practice room. Her friend said the girl entered the room screaming and bleeding from the arms and hands before the two found camp counselors. One of them called 911 after seeing the girl running down a stairwell screaming. They waited for the ambulance crew in the third-floor lobby. The girl told police every time the stair stair door or elevator opened, she thought it was Ko. Meanwhile, Seben took Ko downstairs so he could call the police, but Ko ran. Seben chased him out of the building, but Ko got away. Co called his mother Ji young Kum before driving him in the family's Land Rover, according to the F-evident. She told the police she hadn't seen upset that day and had told her he was going to meet a friend at Merrill Hall and get lunch. When, she, when he came home at 10.10 10 a.m., there was blood on his arms and clothing. Kim saw small cuts on his arms and told police she thought the blood was his at the time. He then told his mother he had pulled a prank of a girl by telling her to follow him before placing his hand over her mouth to keep her quiet. He said she started to scream so he choked her and they started wrestling and the knife fell out of his pocket. He said she ran away after they wrestled for a bit. Ko showed his, his mother the knife, which he had placed in a Kleenex box before putting it in a clear Tupperware container in the kitchen with a few inches of water. Before police arrived, Kim told her son to change his clothing. When officers arrested Ko at his residence, he and Kim showed, him, showed them the knife in the Tupperware. Coe will remain in the Monroe County Jail until his bail review hearing, which was rescheduled at 9 a.m. Friday. His bond is set at $150,500. His first pre-trial conference is scheduled for 2 p.m. September 4th. This story was originally published through
1: the Indiana Daily Student on July 17th. Now, you've got these two evil creatures here, the fox and the cat um, I think this one's based on one of the Marx Brothers, actually, Harpo Marx, who I believe never said anything but, be that as it may, they're these ne'er-do-well characters, um, the fox in particular now, fox is a standard trickster animal, right, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a classic animal, maybe because it's, it's good at hiding and it's good at hunting I don't know exactly why, but, it's, it, and coyotes are like that too they're classic trickster animals. Um, he's kind of like Wiley Coyote, in fact. You know the, the the Warner Brothers character who's genius at large, and of course whose arrogance continually gets him walloped. And this character has a lot of features like that. But he he's, he feigns being a, an English gentleman of like the eighteen nineties and pretends to be educated, and and uh, he has a kind of high blown way of talking. And he's a fraud through and through. And he's got He's got this, you know, sidekick who is barely there at all, and he he doesn't treat him that well. But, but he's got someone to lord it over, so that keeps his dominance hierarchy thing going well. And the fact that he's like a second-rate companion, well, he never really notices that. Although he'll treat him contemptuously whenever he gets a chance. So, anyways, they're walking down the street and. The, the uh, fox is bragging away about some crooked thing that he's done, and how he pulled the wool over someone's eyes and he confuses that with uh, wisdom and intelligence and one of the things that you see, this is worth knowing too, because if you're preyed upon by a psychopath which you will be, to some degree, at some point in your life the psychopath, who will be narcissistic, will presume that you're stupid, and, and, and that you deserve to be taken advantage of, because you're naive and stupid so it's actually a good thing that he's doing it and uh, he, his proof for... and I'm saying he, because there are more male psychopaths um, the, uh, the proof that you're stupid naive is that he can take advantage of you and so, like, if you were wiser, you'd, you'd be, you know, you'd, you'd know his tricks and then it wouldn't be morally necessary for him to show you just exactly who knows what about what and so, the psychopath will use his ability to to fool you as proof of his own grandiose grandiose omnipotence, omniscience and narcissism and the problem with that is that you can be fooled by a psychopath, and virtually anybody can so that Robert Hare, for example, who studied psychopaths for a long time, and interviewed a lot of them, like hundreds of them and videotaped many of the interviews, he said when he was talking to the psychopath, he always believed what they were saying and then he'd watch the video afterwards and see where the conversation went off the rails but, you know, the the proclivity to be polite in a conversation is very strong and if you're polite, you don't object to the way that the person unfolds their strategy, you know and psychopaths are pretty good at figuring out how to manipulate obviously, how to manipulate people, and the probability that you will be immune to that is extraordinarily low go watch Paul Bernardo being interviewed by policemen on, on YouTube that's bloody... It, that's enlightening, man Paul Bernardo, he's like the CEO of a meeting in that video, you know? he gives the cops hell, he gives the lawyers hell, he protests his innocence, he basically tells them that they're rude and untrustworthy because they don't trust him, because he did a few little things 17 years ago and he gets away with a few little things, right, I mean, he killed a bunch of people, including the sister of his girlfriend at the time and, you know, he was a repeat sexual offender and murderer, it's like, but he basically goes, well, you know, that's a long time ago it's like, we're, we're past that, aren't we? I mean, I'm having a discussion with you, I'm trying to solve, help you solve some crimes which, by the way, I committed, but we won't bring that up, you know, and you're, 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 you're accusing me of being a liar like, you're not playing fair, what, what's up with you? and then when they answer, he looks at his fingernails, which is like, that's a lovely little manipulative thing because it basically means, whatever happens to be under my fingernail at the moment is much higher priority than listening to your foolish story, and you watch, you'll see people do that to you and then you get a little insight into what they're up to, he's very good at that and so, or he looks outside, or he, or, or he just looks at his hands, or he looks out the window immediately dismissive in his nonverbal behaviour, it's brilliant that the, the courts were forced to release that, by the
0: way. At one point in your life, you will be struck by narcissism and psychopaths. Just like Jordan Peterson said, I think it really summarizes what I had experienced and what my family had experienced, not just with the narcissism, but also with Mikey Co. Not only was he one of the worst serial killers that nobody has ever talked about, but after he had gotten out of jail and had a slap on the wrist, he still challenges the court to this day. He even said he tried to kill, he wanted to kill 14 people, including the girl's dad that he had murdered, that she tried, yeah, he tried to murder her. It is just a definition of what narcissism really means in America today. We are around a lot of narcissists, as I explained in the last doc, uh, podcast, I said that there are people who are thinking about suiting up schools and there are people that think of killing other people it's like not everybody has love and acceptance in this world because if there was love and acceptance we would possibly not get along with each other. We have to be angry. We have to fight. We have to cry. We have to show our emotions a little bit. And I used to think that nobody could or should show their emotions because that's what narcissists do. They don't want you to show your emotions. They want you to be a wrinkled piece of SHIT. That's what they want in your life. This is, what, this is how Mikey has treated so many people. He is not only misogynistic, he is homophobic. He is also a very good manipulator, best manipulator I've ever seen. And not only that, but he knows how to challenge the courts. And if he knows how to challenge the courts, he knows how to challenge you. To my final message before ending this long podcast series, and sorry I haven't posted every week. It's been due to college and that sort of stuff. But thank God I am willing to post this final episode of unchained one of the best documentary series i've ever done so far and i feel as if this is going to be really successful i need to thank our listeners and i'll do that after this after i say this there is narcissism ravaging my family right now my mom is constantly under attack my sister is constantly other, under attack. She has been groomed by her music therapist. She has been, my mom has also been groomed by so many men. And so many people she didn't even want to meet. As I said, she is not a slut or a whore. I've seen her. She's a great mom. I don't even have to tell you that. She's a great mom. She raised me right. She raised my sister right. And still is. Nobody deserves this. Nobody does. My last message to the courts, we have to study narcissism, just like with that Paul Bernardo. We have to study narcissism before it is too late. But tragically, we're seeing this with Dr. Anthony Fauci. We're seeing this with the CDC. And we are seeing this with the people at large. Because let me tell you the truth, COVID-19 is using us as guinea pigs. The government's using us as guinea pigs, stabbing us and prodding us and poking us and making sure you say, if you don't need a vaccine, don't get a vaccine. A doctor should tell you if you get a vaccine. But my last message is the courts need to know more about narcissism. That's just through and through it. They need to know more about it. If you're not going to be a changed person, why get released? Mikey Ko should never be released from prison again. That's just my opinion. He needs to rot away in jail. And he possibly needs the death penalty if he tried something else. Because guess what? They're going to let him go out. He already went out. He's already proven to the courts what he's done. You just go out and he tries to murder 14 people. That is the definition of a narcissist. But also a definition of a psychopath. If you are the victim of narcissistic abuse, let me tell you that I am here with you. And I'm praying that this podcast does really well to help you in your life. Again, I need to thank all my listeners, the people who have supported me throughout my entire life, who had witnessed this boy and who I had witnessed, who witnessed me go through mental health struggles. I need to thank everybody from the bottom of my heart. This podcast was hard to do. It was hard to talk about this stuff. Some days I'm shaking just talking about it. It is really toxic but also very rewarding to do. This was stories I needed to share about my life, about the life of Mikey, and about narcissism as a whole. This story transcends more than just to Mikey Co. This story transcends to families who in 2021 are possibly dealing with toxic family members and people who are abusive and who are disrespectful and who are beating them up every day. You don't have to put up with that, S-H-I-T. You really don't. You really don't. It's really shit. You don't have to put up with it. I'm serious. You don't have to put up with it. I know how to leave. I try to escape my mom and sister from the pain. It's, it's dreadful, to say the least. It can be dreadful some days. But my story's not a SOP story. My story is just like the story of the people who met Ted Bundy. Or the story of the people who met John Wayne Gacy. Or the people who met, uh, the people who met Jeff Kaczynski, the Unabomber, or who met the shoe bomber. Or this can go out to the woman that had gone to my mom's high school who tackled the shoe bomber and was invited on Oprah because that's where I see myself one day getting on Oprah possibly and talking about my story again. Thank you all so much for listening to this podcast thank you for everything. I hope you all have a great night, a good day, whenever you're listening to this. Thank you for listening to Unchained, as the chains are finally broken.